from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. A big decision. And they said, you can come back if you want. If you don't, we'll just shut it down. And I thought, no, I don't, please don't do that. <laughs> Leads to big changes and a bright future at one farm. Meet this year's Next Gen Top Producer Award winner. Despite higher prices, do consumers still have a positive view about beef and the industry? See the results of a new survey as the industry comes off a year of record prices. Will cattle prices hit records again in 2024? We'll ask the experts today on Ag Day. Industry leaders answer that question as our coverage of CattleCon 2024 continues right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the name on the cap matches the power of one's purpose. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. The smallest beef cow herd in more than 60 years, coupled with strong consumer demand. What does this mean for cattle producers? Cattle facts weighing in at this year's CattleCon in Orlando, Florida. Ag Day's Michelle Rook is just back from that event. Michelle, what's the bottom line here? Clinton, cattle prices hit record highs in 2023, but with a herd that is now smaller than last year and the smallest in 73 years, will we go back up and retest those highs again this year? CattleFax releasing their projections at CattleCon 2024. The huge correction in live and feeder cattle futures prices in the fourth quarter of 2023 had some in the trade predicting the market highs were in. However, the cattle herd continues to shrink to only 87.2 million head. So what does that mean for prices in 2024? CattleFax releasing their projections at CattleCon 24, including record fed cattle prices. You know, fed prices, we look at them this past year in 2023, we averaged 175. We're suggesting we'll average 184 or 185 this year, so about a dime higher. Good says feeders will also hit all-time highs this year. Feeder cattle, we would suggest 240 to 250 on an eight weight is where we'll end up this year, so substantially higher than last year. While those high animal replacement costs will keep break-evens for the feedlots tight, it's partially being offset by lower corn prices. They help the cattle feeder immensely from $7 corn down to $4.5 corn. It's taken cost of gains down from the dollar teens to down to close to a dollar, dollar five, somewhere in there. And the good news is this market cycle may have a longer tail, not only due to tighter numbers, but a strong economy and consumer demand, plus ample slaughter capacity at packing plants. If we remember back to in 2010 and 2015, we lost quite a few packing plants. Right now we're starting to build more packing plants, so the leverage component will continue to favor the cattle producer longer in this cycle. Add to that a calf crop that's the smallest in 82 years, and there's more good days on the horizon for cattle producers. I am more optimistic for 2024, 25, and 26 than I have been at any time in, in my involvement in the, in the beef industry, because they gotta come to us. We're in the driver's seat. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. So what do consumers have to say about the beef industry right now? New research shows it could face some softening demand due to several headwinds in 2024, but that demand remains strong. The Beef Industry Review and Consumer Insights Report just released at the convention. It shows with a contracting cattle herd, ongoing drought and supply chain issues, the price of beef is expected to rise 
even more this year. And while shoppers still say beef is a top choice, there has been a modest switch to other proteins, but consumers also continue to rank beef as a top source of protein due to taste and nutrition. People love beef, especially the U.S. consumer. Uh, we know that 70% of the U.S. consumer, which is up one point from last year, 70% of all U.S. Uh, consumers eat beef at least one time per week, and 80% of consumers are intending to eat beef at least as much or more than they did the prior year. Nielsen says the industry is working to reduce barriers for consumers to make them more comfortable with eating beef. That includes more video and recipes to show families there's so much to offer when it comes to beef. Coverage of the 2024 NCBA Cattle Convention on Ag Day is brought to you by Alltech. Alltech delivers smarter, more sustainable solutions for agriculture. Our diverse portfolio of products and services improves the health and performance of plants and animals, resulting in better nutrition for all. A developing story we're tracking right now, California getting hit with another powerful atmospheric river storm. Forecasters warning of dangerous, life-threatening impacts. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht is tracking it for us. Matt? Yeah, no surprise here in regards to uh, life-threatening rainfall uh, impacting portions of California. Uh, we're going to, of course, mention that, but also follow that through the rest of the week and see how that energy translates from the West Coast across the United States with a couple of blank spots. What's interesting about this map going forward is that that ridge of high pressure sits right here. So your best chance of rain across the nation is going to be along and south of that ridge and that's where we pick up the Gulf moisture, uh, but also enough lift in the atmosphere uh, to create the possibility of some heavier downpours uh, into Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, as well as Florida and Georgia in the days ahead. You see how things stay relatively quiet into the Midwest, up towards Minnesota, the Plains, uh, the Dakotas, as well as the Northeast. Again, there's that precipitation forecast uh, that we have the next seven days. Coming up in a little bit, we'll take a look at your full forecast, show you what's in store for the rest of the week. And ahead of the first atmospheric river hitting the state last week, California water officials started preparing for what could be a record amount of rain releasing water from Lake Oroville. It's the first time since March of last year officials decided to release water at the dam. It's hoped releasing water into Feather River will protect communities from flooding. It's the opposite story right now in Puerto Rico where low water levels are forcing officials to consider implementing water rationing. The government reports one key reservoir that provides water to 250,000 people is running low. Officials say rains were scarce on the island last year and it was hit by extreme heat for several months. Portugal farmers joining the protests going on right now in Europe. Several farmers there using their tractors to block at least three roads linking the country to Spain last week. Now the government announcing emergency aid of 500 million euros for farmers. The protests starting a few weeks ago in France with producers protesting what they say are low earnings, heavy regulation and unfair competition from abroad. Now France's two major farmers unions ending their blockade after the aid was announced. But Reuters reports a small group of farmers who feel underrepresented are continuing to protest. Problems continue in the Red Sea and that's forcing more ships carrying grain to divert. Reuters says 12 ships were diverted last week. They were carrying about 700,000 metric tons of grain. Now since December, up to 4.6 million tons of grain has avoided the Red Sea due to security concerns. Also, more wheat shipments from France and the Black Sea to Asia have diverted away from the sea. 
After a strong showing for cattle markets during the convention last week, what can we expect for markets this week? We'll dig into the numbers coming up next. And later, meet a young producer pursuing her future while advocating for the industry she loves. Grains continue to struggle to end the week while cattle markets take a bit of a breather. Michelle Rook is back from Orlando with a look at what to expect this week in today's Markets Now. Well, grains mostly lower on Friday. John Payne is joining us. And John, let's talk about the soybean market. Well, soy complex was lower on Friday once again. And how much of that is just a Brazil harvest and their lower price? Yeah, I, I think all, all of it is, is a part of it. Momentum product markets, um, you know, just overall dollar strength picture. There's there's a lot of things that are facing soybeans. So everything I'm saying right now, I'm going to tell you, is, is baked in the cake to a degree. Uh, but that doesn't mean the price will continue to fall. Uh, you know, we've got basically a, a, a market that is finding supply. So it's now finding people who either had contracts that don't need them anymore, or starting to roll those back. There's there's uh, money opportunities in the, in the spreads to do that, given how flat everything is. Um, and I think you're starting to see that develop in the beans. Um, I will say, though, on the product side of things, we're still rather flat, meaning, you know, the market hasn't liquidated to get itself into that inversion that you would see in when there's a really well-supplied market. So at this point, I mean, it's behind Brazil. It's behind China. Those two things, Brazil supply, Chinese demand, and then the overall kind of weakness here in the United States in regards to commodity demand on the margins. I was going to ask you, now that we got below the $12 mark, where you found the next support? Looking at 11, sub-1150 was the low from June. Uh, I think it was June or late May. And so that would be where, you know, that, that March 2024 contract looks to test, in my opinion. I think, again, the product markets are important here to follow. And corn market could not take out the 450 resistance area on the charts, but corn essentially has been a follower here of soybeans to some degree, hasn't it? Yeah, I do agree. I mean, I think there's weight there just based off the Brazilian weather. You know, I know I know it's we're all kind of grasping at reasons why the market could jump. Um, but at this point, you know, crop failure in Brazil is not one of them, in my opinion. I think, you know, we could go up on, you know, the demand popping up and, and them not wanting to meet supply because acreage isn't coming in at the good rate for next year. Those are all stories that I think you can buy into. But right now, corn is going to weigh, be weighed down by good supplies there. And then just the overall, it's it's the currency of set of mid, the Midwest. That's why I kind of like to look at it as right now, you know, those folks need to raise money. Thanks so much for joining us, John Payne with Hedgepoint Global Markets. And we'll have more Ag Day coming up. don't visit the drought monitor uh, when we're in the winter months, January and February. I think it's a good idea to just kind of revisit where uh, that uh, drought is still located, the extreme to exceptional, but also uh, less area regarding official droughts in across the United States, specifically uh, parts of Illinois, Indiana, even a little bit into Michigan and Ohio, where we're down into uh, more of the dry, uh, but officially out of the drought uh, through Indiana as well as Illinois. Now you see that there's still some spots that need some rainfall. And in fact, where we're seeing the extreme to exceptional, that's also the place where we're going to see some of that rainfall, much needed rainfall come through. Again, there's the updated drought monitor for you. Now, parts of uh, southeast, uh, southern, southern California uh, don't have any problem with the drought as they continue to be inundated with rainfall. The temperature outlook, this goes through the 11th of February, two-thirds of the United States. And the difference between uh, the 10th and the 11th and earlier in the week 
is that we are now starting to include the southeast all the way back down to Louisiana and Texas in this above normal temperature forecast. A little bit cooler though as you get into the uh, you know, Southern California and into Phoenix as well with those temperatures staying a little bit below average for this time of year. Show you the jet stream, give you an idea of what to expect in terms of the next storm system or systems. We start off on Tuesday and unlike last week, remember last week we had that split flow where you had the ridge of high pressure here and a low pressure system working here. That's what came through this past weekend was that low pressure system. As we start to work into the rest of the work week, this is on Tuesday, you see a ridge of high pressure reforming across the United States, and it's a pretty significant one uh, with these white lines going deep into Canada and then this trough digging way out here towards uh, the west. So once again, we're setting up for a week uh, that isn't going to be kind of a, a traditional type pattern that we see in winter. Rather, the ridge tries to break down, moves to the east, and then you have more of a cutoff low, kind of a, a bowling ball look you know, to the forecast in the jet stream Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This is not a pocket of very cold air. It may take us back down close to average for parts of the Dakotas into the parts of the Midwest Friday, Saturday and Sunday. But this is not an extreme cold air outbreak by any means. So from New Mexico, partly cloudy, high about 56 degrees. Coffeeville, Kansas, partly cloudy, high about 57. Fort Pierce, Florida, rain and some thunder, high 67 degrees. It's cold and it's winter, but that doesn't mean frozen equipment prices. Machinery Pete is already seeing some hot sales to start 2024. Well, folks, since the calendar flipped to 2024, I tell you, I've seen some very interesting auctions. And let me highlight one in particular for you. So this sale was January 30th, an online sale by United Edge Real Estate and Auction Company out of Edgerton, Ohio. And the equipment was from the area. Well, let's start off with the highest price item on the auction. This uh, never been to the field 2024 John Deere N540C 40 foot air seater with seven and a half inch spacing. So for 245,000 bucks. And if we talk tractors, boy, I tell you, good condition, slightly older four wheel drives have been red hot. Another example here is 1997 Case H 9330 Row Crop Special, 7,157 hours on it, it had three point and 1,000 PTO. So for $60,000. Now, if we stay pre-def, this 2006 Case H MX305, 2,953 hours on it, so for $122,000. That's actually the third highest auction price ever on a MX305 with at least 2,900 hours. And we'll wrap up tractors with a classic here for you. How about this 1970 Farmall 826 Gold Demonstrator? Only 5,365 hours on it. So for $24,000, fifth highest auction price I've ever seen on an 826. But I think we'll save the best for the last, folks. How about this? An international 815 combine. Just don't see many of these around anymore. And this one was only showing 727 hours on it. Now it's sold without any heads for $2,750. And that's actually the fifth highest auction price I've seen the past 24 years on an international 815 but it's the highest in nearly nine years. All right, thanks, Pete. Well, up next, discovering the future of the farm. This week, hundreds of the nation's largest producers will gather for Top Producer Summit in Kansas City. Now, as part of that event, a collection of awards will be given out, including Top Producer of the Year, 
the top producer women in ag award and the next gen award well this morning we meet the winner of the top producer next gen award Hallie Schaffner the work never stops even if the machines do at SFR seed in Newport Arkansas Hallie Schaffner's focused on potential at her 2,000 acre operation a family business specializing in seed production and research Hallie is carrying on a mission her mother started back in 1988. She trained me in how to increase pure seed stock of soybeans and rice. And it's been a, a journey of me learning what she did and then adopting new practices in the field, particularly in terms of uh, rice work. Which is somewhat new to the operation now growing and maintaining about 20 different rice varieties in partnership with USDA. We've been very lucky to have them <laughs> helping us out in the field so that we can build our own rice purity program. Raised in these fields, Hallie spent her childhood between the rows. When I was little, my mom gave me an option. She said, you can go to church with your grandmother or you can go scout cotton with your dad. And that, as a kid, that's an easy choice, right? Because he would take me to McDonald's. And we'd, get, which he still does today, we'd stop and he'd say, go pick me 100 squares. And so we'd go out, we'd pick them, bring them back to the tailgate, open them up, look for bugs. And those are some of my best memories with my dad. After college, encouraged to get out of ag, she lived all over the world. From Nashville to India, back to Seattle, to Arkansas, then Peru and Spain. I tried a lot of different things. I tried grant writing, I tried nonprofit work, I tried marketing and I really didn't find anywhere where I fit in. But agriculture was calling. My dad needed to retire um, because he got his dementia diagnosis and they said you can come back if you want if you don't we'll just shut it down and I thought no I don't please don't do that. <laughs> Working with her mother in 2019 she took the lead as CEO and continues to focus on growing the business searching for opportunities in specialty crops and value-added production. But in the Delta, we're so focused on commodities, we're so focused on volume that we kind of lose perspective on the specialty work. And there is a push now, knowing that the Delta has water and places like California do not, you know, there's gonna be a big push for specialty work here in the South. And she's doing it while focusing on sustainability. Farmers are doing their part to combat the 10% carbon emissions that we are contributing uh, to greenhouse gases. We need support from other industries. If we're making the investments in technology that we need to become more environmentally sustainable, other industries need to do so as well. An exciting future built on the gifts from the past. I'm extremely privileged. I come from a long history of farming. I'm a sixth generation farmer. I will inherit land that's been in our family for over 100 years. A mission learned from those days in the fields with her father and from watching her mother, the scientist. I watched her walk confidently into every room and speak her mind. She was the expert. And I just, I knew that I could do anything because I saw her do anything, right? Confidence and precision. She's pouring into every day as she works to carry on a legacy of innovation. I'm proud to be a farmer. Like I said, farmers are the ultimate innovators. We have been since the agricultural revolution 10,000 years ago. And I just am proud to be a part of that generation. Congratulations to Hallie Schaffner, 
the 2024 Top Producer Next Gen Award winner. All right, congratulations. And we'll profile some more award winners all this week on Ag Day. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in from all of us here at Ag Day. I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.